Bob Thornton is just making fun of me the whole time. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, as, as does uh, Tom Ellison, Lucifer too. He also basically makes fun of me during my, my, my role. So hopefully as part of the like scene and characters and not just oh, yeah, you as just a person. Part of the character, <laughs> yeah. not me as a person. <laughs> They're not just cutting you up. He, he, he just broke the scene and was like, Matt, you are an idiot. Welcome and thank you for listening to Almost Almost Famous, the podcast where actors, writers, comedians talk about the ups and downs, ebbs and flows of working towards making it in this crazy biz and how they're almost, almost famous. I'm your host, Daniel Acker. You can catch today's guest in the latest season of Lucifer on Netflix. He's also known for his multi-year role as attorney Henry Sullivan on General Hospital. He's been on Masters of Sex, Goliath, Modern Family, and more. It is the incomparable Matthew Bohr. Hey, Matt. Hey, Daniel, how are you? I'm good. Also for the listeners, Matt is a active uh, theatrical actor. He's performed at the Amundsen and the Mark Taper Forum in LA. As someone who's kind of active with both, is there one you feel like you naturally gravitate towards more or one you enjoy more, I guess? I enjoy theater a lot uh, for different reasons than I enjoy film and TV. I think both experiences can be gratifying in different ways. Um, I think with theater, you, even if you have a small role, you rehearse it for weeks and weeks. So you really are part of the ensemble, even if, you know, your, your part is, is, is small. Whereas with TV and film, if you only have a small role, you're only there for a day or a couple days. So you're not as fully part of the team in the same way. So I do think um, for that reason, I enjoy theater also because I think when you're, you know, coming up uh, as a kid and starting to enjoy performing and getting, you know, bitten by the acting bug, so to speak, it's always theater, right? And I think uh, the applause of the audience is that immediate gratification. Um, But that said, you know, I really like film and TV for a different reason, which is I do feel that you can often do your most realistic work because you know with the sets that you end up going to you know they're putting you in the exact environment of the show and just putting cameras there so it feels so real and it feels like you can fully inhabit the other person in a way that as much acting you know technique as you can use with theater it will always be directed out toward an audience right you have to make sure the audience can see you and there are technical things with making sure a camera can see you but I do think that it's more real. Um, So I like both experiences for different reasons. So that's a long-winded answer saying I don't have a preference. Gotcha. (laughs) That's great. And I think, you know, I've been lucky to do both in LA, even though LA is not known for theater. I think it's so important to continue as an actor, always training and always getting better because if you're not getting better, you're getting worse. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, if you're a working actor, you know, a lot of the jobs are, you know, the guest star role or the co-star role. And I know some of your other podcast guests have talked about this. And so being in a theater production at the same time that you're taking on those guest roles uh, is fantastic because it allows you to get both experiences, building that character, performing it over and over again, and at the same time, getting to go play in another sandbox, you know, as a character in, you know, a longer running show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do feel like, you know, there's that saying that there's like no small parts 
uh, feels very true in theater where you do work your character and you can kind of like almost build a world with it. And then when you go to TV or film and you're there for like a day, half a day or whatever, you go like, that feels like a small part. <laughs> like it, it yeah. can feel like that. But theater exercises the muscle and reminds you the kind of the weight and importance of every role, every moment. Exactly. And I do think even with the small parts in film and TV, it always depends on what the scene is because, you know, I think my... For, you know, second role I did was on Scandal and it was one line, you know, and I do think that you have to be able to look like you're part of the world of the show and it's fun to be on set, but ultimately that kind of a, a one-liner is not super integral to the story. Whereas, you know, I did another, one of my first roles was on uh, House of Lies where it was maybe two or three lines, but ultimately there was a lot of action in the scene and a lot going on with, uh, Don Cheadle and it was just awesome to work with him as one of my first TV roles um, and see first of all a master work but also get to improv so mm -hmm. I think it just depends what the scene is because sometimes there are small parts yes <laughs> for <laughs> TV you know where, that are integral to the story um, and then sometimes you know there are the small parts that are I mean I, I know there's the famous story of like I think Viola Davis had I think it might've been, uh, I don't remember one of her first screen credits uh, had almost no lines or no lines, but she made such an impact, you know, on the crew and the director that that sort of jump-started her career just with her one scene of so much emotion. And uh, I think she had to cry a lot or something in the scene, but she just brought so much intensity that it, it got her noticed. So even though, uh, and I think that also brings me to another idea, which I've heard a lot, um, which is, you know, they, that the great actors aren't looking for a lot of lines. They're looking for uh, an importance to the story. Right. Because you don't necessarily need a lot of lines to be the main character of a, a film or TV show. You just need to be important to the story. And so much of film is about action mm. um, and about uh, capturing images. Uh, yeah. yeah I remember like one of the few theater classes I took in college one of the professors told like the story which I'm sure every actor's heard or something like it about like you know an acting class back in the day a young actor Marlon Brando is in the <laughs> class and the teacher gives the assignment like all the students are up it's a very acting assignment where it's like you all have to pretend to be like chickens in the chicken coop and then you've you now realize that a fox is about to enter so all the students are like running around you know, frantic and screaming, <laughs> except supposedly the myth, except Marlon Brando, who's just sitting calmly and the teacher's like, what are you doing? He, there's a fox. And he's like, well, I'm, I'm laying an egg. <laughs> and it was, it's like, the story is like with acting, like kind of saying it's choices more than just words or doing something. It's, it's as an actor with these quote unquote, smaller parts, you can do a lot with them by who you are and how you show up and kind of the work you've done. Absolutely. I think that's such a wonderful story too, because it, it was not a, a choice that Brando made for this, you know, acting exercise that was not realistic. He wasn't doing something wacky. He wasn't, you know, making a, a over the top choice or something out of left field that didn't make sense for the character of chicken. Right. But he made the unexpected choice that was still 
within the world that was set up by the exercise, right? Mm-hmm. Laying an egg as a chicken. Yeah, I believe that. What made you interested in acting? Like what was it about this profession that you gravitated towards? I always loved the creativity of it. Uh, I think when I was a little kid, uh, I was obsessed with um, old movies, mostly because one of the only channels we had for some reason was uh, AMC. So I would watch the Groucho Marx and, and the Marx Brothers movies every time they aired. And I think when I was five, I did an impression of Groucho for my school talent show. And you know, I th- it's that classic thing of, oh, wait, this is a lot of fun. I really want to do this. And so all throughout growing up, I kept performing. And I think it wasn't until I was in high school and I started to do some summer programs at different um, acting schools. I did a program at Strasburg Institute, which is you know the famous method acting institute. Um, and then I started to realize how much more there was to acting beyond sort of that that kid's idea of doing a play um, mm-hmm. and getting up there and memorizing the lines and starting to think about what um, really goes into the scene, how to um, work with your sense memory, how to build the character, how to build the backstory um, and all of those questions uh, that you need to ask yourself as an actor. Um, and so I think that really fascinated me was, okay, now it's, it's about creating a person And I just love doing the research. I think that's so fun when you get to do, especially a period piece and you get to read about a different part of history or or something that you didn't know about and learn something new. Now, do you find that when you are working and creating characters and acting, are you one who more often starts kind of from the inside out, learning how a character might be thinking and acting, or are you more going external in, like looking at costume and setting and how they might be influencing a character. Often I start with the text and analyzing the text and reading the script over and over again um, to try to think about what the world is of the story and how the, the character functions within that world. And, you know, I think it's a little different with a film or TV show, especially with a TV show. I think film is actually close to theater because it's one two hour story and that's pretty much what a theater production is one two-hour story so you get the full film script and you can understand the full story whereas with a tv show you know if you're a guest star you only get your sides for that episode which you know for listeners who aren't uh, you know auditioning all the time the sides are just the the lines that that particular character has so you don't get the full story so you have to make so many guesses based on just those lines then I like to think about um, when I'm analyzing the text okay you know can I if it's a show that's on the air can I watch an episode of the show to get a feel for the world of the show can I see which actors are on the show so I can imagine working with them or like start to think about uh, what those choices would be like then I will also try to ask a lot of questions based on the text and that will lead me to the research so you have to answer all these questions and uh, unfortunately with auditions, as you know, you pretty much never have time to actually answer those questions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but there's some, something to the act of not treating these characters like they're in a vacuum or they just kind of yeah, pop in absolutely. and disappear. The more you can kind of, even if you can't answer the questions, the, the act of asking them 
can breathe some life into these people because that you're trying to portray a full human being and not just like a cardboard cutout that can say a sentence or a doll with a pull string. Was it always like kind of your nature to do the style of research or did this really come out more as you progressed in your acting career and studies? It definitely started during high school. Um, Cause I, you know, as I said, I really started as a, you know, an elementary school and through middle school doing just school plays and things like that. Um, but when I really started to take, you know, acting seriously was as I looked into colleges and thought, will I go to a conservatory program or a university? And I tried out a few different places. And that's when I really started to go, oh, wait, there's so much more to acting than just memorizing the lines, getting some notes on where to stand, you know, you know, imagining the character is one thing. I always had that aspect of it um, and thinking about, you know, what would it be like to be in this scene with this person? So I think I just naturally had that and I had a lot of instincts, which were good, but I do think as I, as I progressed, you know, it, it was really that NYU program. And then I did a program uh, in summer in the summer program at Yale as well, where they had a different style. They weren't method based. They were more, um, text analysis based. So I was able to kind of marry those. And then, you know, after college, I studied with uh, Stan Kirsch, uh, who is a great acting teacher. And, uh, and then later, Leslie Kahn, who's also a wonderful teacher, among many other wonderful teachers um, out here in LA, like Rob Nagel, G. Charles Wright, so many great people. But the people that I think I was in class with for the longest were Stan and then later Leslie. And yeah, you have quite a academic side of acting going from an NYU conservatory and a Yale program and also Harvard. Yes. Yeah, I did. I did end up going there and that was the choice was to go get a degree and think, okay, like if I still really love acting after going to Harvard, then I will pursue it. But I wanted to have the option going into college of maybe I will do something else. Maybe I'll really fall in love with you know, the, studying the law or studying history. And I really love those subjects. And I, what I love about acting and, and writing is that you get to study these other things when you're, you know, using your imagination, creating characters. But I kind of, you know, all gr- growing up, I, was, I wasn't also beyond acting. I was doing like speech and debate and student government and model UN and all of those activities. And I thought, okay, maybe in college, I'll get really into politics and I'll pursue that instead of acting. But pretty much the first week I got into a couple plays and then that was what I was doing all through college. And that's what I wanted to continue doing. after. That's fantastic. Have you, do you feel like you've hit milestones in your career or parts of, or times where you felt like you quote unquote made it? Yeah. I think that the first, first time I felt like, Oh, this is, I don't, well, as, as I'm sure other guests have discussed, there's no real making it because you always have to get the next job. Mm-hmm. I guess making it would be having an, enough money to just retire after, you know, one long TV show or something. But that's so rare that, you know, working actors are always going from job to job to job. So you're always afraid when the jobs will stop coming. You have to always keep going. But I do think that the, you know, I think it was when I first got the, the role at the Amundsen, 
Um, that was the first major professional credit I had after college. It was a production of the Sun Sunshine Boys by Neil Simon. And uh, the leads were played by Danny DeVito and Judd Hirsch, who are these legendary actors. And so, but before that, I think that was three years after graduating college that I booked that. And I was pretty much ready to quit because I went uh, on the birthright trip to Israel <laughs> that summer of 2013. Uh, but right, right before the birthright trip, I had auditioned for the Sunshine Boys. I got called back. And this was also after an open call, which almost never happens. Mm -hmm. But at the open call, the casting director was like, you're perfect for this show. Funnily enough, my grandfather always was mistaken for Neil Simon when he would go to the theater. People thought he looked exactly like Neil Simon. Um, and I was like, yes, Neil Simon plays. That would be my ideal type. Yes, I mm -hmm. understand. I'm right for this play. You know, so then I got the call back and I didn't hear anything. And I thought, oh man, well, I really thought this was the thing that I was going to get that would maybe jumpstart getting some credits because you, you really need something on the resume as a professional credit to then other, get more credits. Mm -hmm. um, that's the catch 22 of, of Hollywood. But I went on the birthright trip thinking, okay, well, I didn't get the Sunshine Boys. That was kind of my you know, be all and end all of like, if I don't get this, then I should consider doing something else. It's been three years and I don't, you know, I haven't been getting any other big professional things. And, you know, we were in on the birthright trip and I was, some people were staying in Israel to do, you know, longer tours. And I thought, oh, maybe I'll just hang out here for a while. Maybe I'll like get a job on a kibbutz and explore my life options. And the last day of the trip, I got the email from my agent that I booked the role. Um, and it was a small role in the show that also understudied uh, one of the lead characters. And I knew, okay, I'm not meant to be here on a kibbutz in Israel, you know, farming or whatever my, my, my <laughs> idea was going to be. Um, I'm supposed to go be an actor. And so, you know, as we talked about with the theater experience of having a small role, it still felt like I was you know, every single role was an important um, part of the show. And, you know, I've been lucky to remain friends with people from the cast through the years, uh, just because, you know, with theater, you do get to be with people for a longer period of time. Mm -hmm. um, so that was the first time I felt like, okay, there was some making it. I think most actors who are in this business long enough have at least one, if not several moments where they think, is this when it stops? <laughs> like, is this when I just stop? And there's always the stories, like we hear more often from the stories of people who are like, but then I like booked that thing. And then I reminded myself like, yes, I can do this. And I think even if it wasn't the Sunshine Boys, something else would have come up, you know, like it's hard to keep at this thing and keep being not only good at it, but a good person. And like people will discover it and be like, oh, I wanna work with that person, but yeah. And I've had the pleasure of getting to like perform comedy with Matt. We were in a improv group together for many years called Frenemies, which was still, I will always look back on such a joyous time of all the practices, all the like random small, small theater shows that we just did some, some improv. It sounds like from your early kind of impressions and theater and even TV, you've always had a kind of a inkling or a movement towards comedy because 
you know, listeners might not be able to tell Matt is also an accomplished singer. It's a wonderful voice. So he could do musicals. Oh, thank you. He can do drama. He can, he can do it all folks. But do you feel like given 100% your choice, you would, you'd always prefer to be doing comedies or have you kind of moved to like, Oh, you'd love to just be in a drama now or musicals. Well, I think growing, growing up and I say growing up in LA because I feel like there's just a huge learning curve as a post, you know, college 21 year old, 22 year old coming to LA. That, that's when you learn to be an adult. And I do think at the beginning, so much of comedy for me in our improv group was the joy of working with incredibly talented people like you. Thank you. On a consistent basis and getting to perform regularly because doing a play, you have to rehearse and take so much you know, at that point, I didn't understand fully that the taking the time out of your auditioning for TV was actually important because you need to be able to create characters and in theater and still fully serve that impulse. But at the time, I felt like that was a great way to just constantly hone acting chops, you know, because with improv, it's listening. And that is the most important skill for an actor is to listen. And and especially working with you and you know the other members of our group who are also so fantastic, I enjoyed that. But I think getting older, um, I sound like I'm you know middle aged man. But in some ways, I always felt like I was a middle aged man. Even you always, a, you always had that vibe. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, you know, I start to think about more drama, and then also going back to my roots of musical theater because I just always have that spark. I think it just comes from being the first thing that I did as a kid, right? When you're a kid, you do the school musical. That's the first thing you're exposed to. Mm -hmm. It's the gateway drug to acting. And so lately I've been doing some more just small theater musicals. I did a musical at the Rockwell. I did a musical at Sacred Fools Theater and trying to work with some smaller theater companies just to make sure I'm honing that. So I love comedy, but I definitely think as I've gotten older, I really enjoy drama and also finding the humorous moments in drama because mm. uh, a lot of the scenes I realized that I've done and things that I've done for drama, like even um, Lucifer is a drama, but there were still a lot of humorous moments for my character. Similarly, um, like Goliath, Billy Bob Thornton is just making fun of me the whole time, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, as, as does uh Tom Ellison, Lucifer too. He also basically makes fun of me during my 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 role. So hopefully, as part of the like scene and characters, and not just oh, yeah, you as just a person. part of the character, <laughs> yeah. not me as a person. <laughs> not just cut you. Up. He, he he just broke the scene. and Was like Matt, you are an idiot. Um, <laughs> but I found that that's kind of been maybe my niche recently is like the comedic scene in a drama. Yeah, I do feel like you naturally have an ability. You're, you're a very talented, very accomplished and a great actor. So I think you bring a lot of like gravitas to a role and you give it like, you have a very like professional air to you. And I'm sure you book a lot of roles, like, you know, you're playing attorney and other like yeah. doctors and stuff. But this is like a, so I think by almost doing the reps and the work of doing improv and comedy and having that muscle strengthened, you can be dropped into a drama and make it feel more realistic. I think you've been a consistent example for, for me and even for hopefully listeners or anyone picking up that 
it is about doing the work and you, you seem very very comfortable jumping in and doing kind of like I said the reps of performance well I, I appreciate that and I do think too that so much of even doing a comedy is then the, the reverse well what's the human being mm-hmm. who's the human being that's doing this comedy you also want to bring a real person to it and it can't just be hitting jokes it has to be the real person um, behind those jokes. And I think also just to compliment you for a second, that's something. Here we go. Always... Finally, I've been waiting. <laughs> I mean, it's, that's one thing I just always loved your work is the characters you created and the sketches you've done and the improv scenes, even improv scenes that we did in, you know, those tiny like black box theaters with maybe, I don't know, three or five people in the audience for listeners. These were, uh, these were sold out shows, all of them. Yes. There were like three, three to five people in the audience, but then there would just be magical things that you could do with the most absurd idea, um, as long as you made it real and came from a grounded place. Well, thank you. I, I would say very rarely was I ever in real or grounded place, but I appreciate it. Um, I thought, <laughs> I, you made it seem that way. I don't know how you did it. I think I was benefited greatly by, especially with our, the crew of people we worked with in front of me, the six of us, that I lucked out that pretty much everyone I worked with was a much better actor than me. So they could make whatever I was doing seem way more realistic. And I credit you with that for sure. I was always like, okay, whatever I'm saying or doing, Matt will make it seem like this person exists in the real world. So I appreciate it. (laughs) That's very kind of you. You know, it's the people you work with. And like you said, so much of it is listening and reacting and it should be joyous. I think that's another aspect that always gets missed. Like always, always while you're pursuing this, it might be tough, it might be difficult, but you should always remember like, oh, I enjoy this. Oh, 100%. Because if you don't enjoy it, it will show in your work. Mm -hmm. That was something too that uh, I wanted to mention because for people that are listening to this thinking about, okay, well, do I want to pursue acting? Do I want to go to Los Angeles and, and try this out? Well, there was one bit of advice that I got early on that I think was horrible, which is, you know, you shouldn't take vacations and you shouldn't take that personal time because you always need to be pursuing, you know, your craft um, with no distractions until you make it. And even then you have to keep going. And as we've talked about, there is no making it. Mm -hmm. Like I think people have to disabuse themselves of that notion of there is a time where now I am an actor that is working all the time. I think it, it can just happen naturally where you're working all the time, but it's not necessarily a quote unquote making. And so I think that's just so important to, to feed your, you just your humanity and go on a vacation and travel and see the world and experience new cultures and new people. Cause I, I didn't, I, I didn't do that for a long time in my 20s because I was always worried I was going to miss an audition and I took that advice to heart. And then now um, my, my wife, uh, after meeting my wife, Emily, like I traveled to visit her family in Asia and then had this incredible experience. And I realized, wow, I haven't been traveling internationally since college. And it's such an experience. And I do think it also helps you as an artist ultimately mm-hmm. to like, meet new people and experience new cultures and different parts of the world. It's so important and it will feed your artistry as an actor and, and writer and, and um, you know, person in this business, just as a human being. 
Yeah, I agree. And I was, I'm glad you brought up the idea of like bad advice. That's some solid bad advice to flag for people. Cause I agree. I think I, I get the sentiment of it. Like, you know, be honing your craft, always working towards something, but I think you also need to schedule time to relax and celebrate and like enjoy life. Otherwise, yeah, okay, you're working your whole life, but if you never take time to enjoy your riches, then like what kind of was it for, in my opinion? I also think, and this has happened so many times where I tend to get the auditions because I booked a vacation. <laughs> like I tend Absolutely. to, I like, <laughs> like I'm going out of town and then all of a sudden I get the call like, oh, you booked this thing. Like, Great. Okay. Like, so in a way, like there's, there's so many times where I've, you know, myself or friends who've been like, we were going to go out of town, but then I booked this thing. And you're like, well, yeah, like that's, that's the way this works. Absolutely. I would say the biggest thing for listeners to flag too is you should be willing to cancel some vacations to do some jobs if it's a good enough job. Don't cancel vacations for auditions. Mm. Yes. That is what I will say because you can always, especially now, you can put yourself on tape. Yeah. You don't have to be in LA for an audition, you know, unless you're testing for a pilot and you have to be in person on a specific day, you know, you, you should just like live your life. Yeah, I heard an actor once said it, book a job, book a vacation. Mm -hmm. Sorry, book a vacation, book a job. I mean, I wish it was book a job, book a vacation. Like, you know. (laughs) Uh, For actors or anyone listening, it doesn't hurt to just ask. So if you book an audition and you have a vacation, just ask your agent if they can accommodate or if you can move the day or you can say like, you know, worst case scenarios, they say, we're not changing it. And if you can't be here, you can't audition. And that's that for that part. But overall, I feel like most are like, yeah, okay, like have them send in a tape, you know, like, they'll figure it out. If they want to see you, they'll figure it out. So don't, don't be afraid to like, simply ask. Like, I feel like too often, it's like, oh, they're gonna hate me. And they'll never want to see me again. It's like, they're human beings, they get it. Yeah. And you have to be upfront about it. Mm -hmm. I would say that's the good advice about it is, just be upfront, because um, I did have two experiences with commercials where I had conflicts due to travels. Um, and the first time that it came up, I did not, I was afraid to, t- to say I was going on vacation and I had uh, another job um, that was lined up right after that. And I wanted to try to make both work and then the dates just would not work with the other job. Mm. And that casting office blackballed me for six months because they had like put me on a veil and were wanting to book me. But I had this other film lined up uh, that I was doing like the week after that I hadn't told them. And then I was supposed to go out of town. So there was just no way that they, they could make it work. But then the second time I was super upfront and I wrote on every piece of paper, I am going to my friend's wedding in Hawaii this weekend and it's a Saturday and Sunday, but because it's commercial and some listeners may not know this, sometimes commercials will like to film on a Saturday and or a Sunday because mm-hmm. they have such quick turnarounds. Um, and I was like, yeah, I'm not going to be there on Saturday. I am in another state yeah. <laughs> across the ocean for my friend's wedding. And I just was super explicit and upfront about it. Just be open, honest, upfront. Absolutely. And then they can't, 
if they book you, but the dates don't, they've known all along and they just go, okay, that's fair. But, exactly. you know, for the other scenario, the first one you described, like the fear kept you from just letting them know. Exactly. And it blows up in your face because they're like, we would have worked around. We would have maybe figured it out. But like, now we feel like we were bamboozled or lied to. And now speaking of being uh, upfront and honest, it's the time in the show, Matt, where Uh-oh. I invite a uh, famed insult comic, Raz Clifford, to, to roast you. Uh, <laughs> likes to bring these guests down a peg before they get they get too big. So, all right, let's bring him out. Hey, hey, Raz, come on out. Oh, hey, folks, it's Raz Clifford. Oh, we've got Matt. Hmm. Well, Matt, I've been wondering something. When did you change your last name to Bore from Boring? Because either version sums you up pretty well. You're a snooze kid. Matt, to be honest, I never thought you'd make it through COVID. Guess I lost that bet. For those of you listening, need a picture. Matt looks like a failed community college professor. (laughs) Now, according to my notes here, this is shocking. It says you went to Harvard. Wow. Oh, wait, it was, but it was for acting. That's like saying you work at NASA, but as a landscaper. (laughs) I mean, it's cool, but no one's going to ask any follow-up questions. Well, Matt, that's the Raz you deserve, you little prick. Boom, got him. When you see me on set, just get me my Danish and don't talk to me. All right. (laughs) Bye, folks. Bye, Raz. Bye, Raz. Thank you so much for uh, giving me that amazing... (laughs) Amazing roast. I'll treasure it forever. Good. He he's glad. He's glad people can treasure these things. Have you for yourself developed or created a kind of a definition of success? Yeah, I think that success is doing what you want to do every day and feeling good about it. I think that that's so important because if you're able to be creating and that's what you want to do, and you're able to be acting and writing and performing and talking to amazingly talented friends on their podcasts. <laughs> That's success. Yeah, you have much more of a, an idea of it's not monetary, it's not certain jobs, it's just having kind of every day being this, in a way like this gift where you get to, you get to live your life how you choose. So for Absolutely. you, it sounds like a big thing is uh, autonomy and being kind of creative and following the joy or following the interest. That's a pretty powerful thing. Yeah. I think I got so much of that from uh, my parents and, and my dad is uh, a law school professor. Um, so that Raz really hit home as a failed community college professor. Um, <laughs> but, but my dad, you know, as a professor gets to teach, you know, uh, he teaches a couple classes a week, does a lot of writing um, he got to go on amazing sabbaticals and guest teaching uh, experiences in other countries. And, you know, I think growing up with my dad's example, I saw, wow, he's created an amazing life and career, you know, and is able to support his family and is able to send his kids to college and, you know, have a house and all these things, but also do what he wants to do, right? Be a, be a teacher uh, and be a professor and travel and, you know, lecture to different uh, audiences. Um, and so I think that really uh, shaped my definition of success. 
that's awesome that you, for both your parents, you've kind of had the role models of pursuing something they enjoy. And from that, creating a life of, you know, a little more substance, you got to see them go, okay, they're doing what they want to do, which is a, like a very great message, you know, for a parent to pass to their child. Absolutely. And I think that the balance is incredibly important, you know, making sure that when you're not, you know, doing a a TV role or a commercial or whatever, that's making money, you're still, you know, living your life, you're doing what you need to do to make money and put food on the table. And you're also still creating, right? Even if you're doing the improv group, like we did, if you're um, performing in a 99 seat black box play um, to be able to scratch a creative itch. If you're filming a web series in your garage, if whatever you're doing, you, you need to make sure you're always creating and feeding that creative muscle because otherwise, you know, it's, it's like not going to the gym. If you don't go to the gym, you get flabby. Um, <laughs> and if you don't, you know, work out those creative muscles, if you're not practicing your craft, Um, and you're not creating, you're not going to be ready when the next audition comes around. So in the not too distant future, Matt, when you were, of course, a guest on on all the late night talk shows, uh, what is the story? What was a story from your life you'd want to tell? So back in college, I was part of this group um, called Hasty Pudding Theatricals, and we were no Raz Clifford, but we did do roasts of celebrities every year. Um, and so the year that I was a part of the, the pudding, the, the celebrity we were roasting was Anne Hathaway. And so we did this big celebration of her and roasted her um, and did a performance for her. And at the party afterward, she came up to me and said, you know, I have some advice for you. And as a young aspiring actor, oh, wow, Anne Hathaway has some amazing advice for me. I'm so excited. Yes. And she you know, in my character in the play, I had to wear a lot of heavy makeup and she held my hands and she said, you need to put the makeup on your hands. I could tell that your hand skin color wasn't the same as your face. (laughs) And I was just blown away. I was like, thank you, Anne Hathaway for this advice. Yes. I will treasure this forever. Well, that's awesome. So you guys like, you know, Anne Hathaway was there. Actual people showed up to be, you know, celebrated and roasted yeah. by this. Celebrated and roasted. You can, that is one. Uh, so the hasty pudding is well known, but one thing about Harvard that is a benefit is that you can kind of also make up awards to give to celebrities or anyone you want to come to the campus. So, you know, <laughs> I mean, I guess, you know, I probably shouldn't be saying this if any, any of these people listen to this, but there was another group I was a part of uh, where we basically created a stand-up comedy award that we would just give to any stand-up comic coming through town. Um, and it ended up that a lot of these comedians ended up doing huge things, but they were just talking to us in a basement because we created the Harvard Stand-Up Comic Award. Um, so we got to talk to like Mike Birbiglia and Rob Delaney and these people who are so incredibly successful um, before they were big by, you know, giving them the stand-up award oh my gosh so you guys really capitalized on the name recognition of harvard yes yes oh my gosh it's yeah i could see that working very well because yeah. now that person gets to go like well you know like 
I'm I'm the winner of the Harvard stand-up comedian award. Like no one's gonna fact check it that it's a bunch of people in like a dorm basement. And I think as as you know, famous people love awards. Yeah. So and and famous people love to feel like celebrated. So yeah, just invite them, invite them to your college. And it probably doesn't have to be, I mean, I'm sure any college, for the most part, you can invite, you know, these people and say, you know, we're gonna give you the uh, entertainer of the year award. <laughs> That's a great little life hack. Well, Matt, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. This was fantastic. Thank you so much for having me, Daniel. I appreciate it. And I'm so honored that you asked. To the listeners listening, thank you, of course, for listening. I'm your host, Daniel Acker, and this has been Almost Almost Famous. (laughs) 